Welcome to the Gateway Scottsdale audio podcast. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewayscottsdale.tv. Now, let's tune in for this week's message. This weekend, uh, we are kicking off a series that I have been waiting to kick off for some time. We're going to spend the next two months talking about the grace of God. And it is going to be as fun as anything we've done in quite some time. The hardest part, I learned this last night, the hardest part uh, about this message, because really the way I see this eight-part series is it's really just one message with eight points. It really is just one message. And the hardest part I learned last night about this message was for me not to get ahead and spill the beans on where we're going next and to start throwing out scriptures, just not in my notes, just throwing them out going, well, let's go and talk about this right now. We'd be here for five and a half hours if I did. So I'm just going to try and stick to the first point of this eight point sermon, this series on grace. And if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to two spots. You can open up to Romans chapter 7 and put a marker in Galatians chapter 2. We'll start in Romans 7, and we're going to spend a ton of time during this series in Romans, a good amount of time in Hebrews, uh, and several of the Pauline epistles. So we're going to be all over the place, uh, scripturally, covering a lot of ground over the next two months. This, This message, though... Uh, really is necessary to kick off this series on grace. And I understand that some people, when the pastor stands up and says, we're going to preach on grace for the next eight weeks, there are, are some, maybe even many, who get excited and go, yes, I love when we talk about the grace of God. I also know that there are some in the room that flinch a little bit because in their minds, they think, that preaching on grace empowers people to sin more. This has been a problem for thousands of years. The Bible has addressed this problem uh, many times. It addresses it many times. But, I mean, think about this. I I kind of understand that thought process. I I can understand where you might be coming from because think about it. The grace of God really does seem too good to be true, doesn't it? I mean, think about it. The fact that God would say to you, I forgive you. I forgive you. Well, God, what about when I I sin tonight? You're forgiven. Well, what about tomorrow when I sin? You're forgiven. What about next month? You're forgiven. That really does sound too good to be true, that the grace God has given us. So I kind of understand anybody who would say, well, I get a little concerned because when the church preaches grace, It gives people a license to sin. Okay, if you have that thought, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to kind of uh, publicly address your private thought. And let me do it in this manner. You're wrong. (laughs) Good morning. Welcome to Gateway Church. You're wrong. That is not biblical. In fact, it's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. That if a church preaches grace... It's going to give people a license to sin. That's not what the Bible says. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56. For sin is the sting that results in death. And the law, it does not say, and the pastor preaching grace gives sin its power. 
No, no, no. And the law gives sin its power. Here's what that means. It is the pastor that preaches law that actually gives sin more strength. And you know what that message sounds like. Do this, do this, do this. Make sure you do that. Make sure you do this. Now don't do that. Stay far away from that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Law, law, law. The Bible says it's actually the pastor that preaches law that gives more strength to sin. It's not preaching grace that gives people license to sin. And let me say this, if you happen to be someone, when you hear the Bible talking about, God speaking about through his word, his grace, if that makes you want to sin more, you're sick in the head. Welcome to Gateway Church. You don't understand God's grace if when you hear about God's grace, the first response you, you think about is, if I'm forgiven, I wanna go, I'm going to go sin some more. Okay, that's sick. That's not spiritual. That, that's not walking in God's grace. That's walking in sin. Now, let me ask you a question because I know many of us think we know the answer to this, but I, I don't think we have a full revelation of really what it means. Are we under the law no okay there's a little bit of hesitance there no we are not under the law let me show you Romans chapter 6 verse 14 sin is no longer your master for you no longer live under the requirements of the law this is speaking to believers in Jesus you are no longer under the requirements of the law instead you live under the freedom of God's grace. Many of us know we don't live under the law anymore, but I don't think we've, we've gotten a, a full revelation or a greater understanding of just how bad it was living under the law and that we've been released from the law and why. And that's what we're talking about in this message. And here's the really shocking question I want to ask you, okay? As it relates to Jesus, what is the church referred to as? Do what? The bride of Christ, right? Okay, here's the really big question. Before we marry Jesus, are we married to someone else? Yes. We're married to the law. And that's why the title of this message is The Tale of two husbands. That'll mess with you, won't it? <laughs> Good morning and welcome to Gateway Church. The tale of two husbands. Let me show you Romans chapter 7 if you opened up there. Starting in verse 1. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking about this two husband idea. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? Hold on, Preston. Paul is saying in Scripture that as long as we're alive, we're under the law. You just said we're released from the law. How is that possible? I'll explain it later. God came up with a solution. Verse 2, for example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as, as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she remarried 
another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. Now listen to verse four. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, or remarried, married to another. To whom? To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. This entire message can be summed up in this one sentence right here. We have been released from the law so that we can be married to Jesus Christ. The entire message can be summed up in that one sentence. And we can't go any further talking about God's grace if you first don't understand that you have been released from the law so that you can be married to Christ. And so the the best way I can try and help you to no longer ever, ever again live under the law is to help you understand just how horrible your previous husband really is. So point number one does just that. Point number one, you have the worst first husband ever. It's the truth. You have the worst first husband ever. The law is a horrible, horrible husband. And we were all, before Jesus, married to the law. Now, don't get hung up on being married to Jesus. I know there are a few theologians in the room, and and you're already thinking about the the marriage feast of the Lamb, and, and that Paul said we're betrothed to Jesus. Yes, yes, I'm with you 100%. But I'm I'm talking about to whom were you married before you first believed? And the answer is the law. The law. And the law is a horrible husband. And I'm going to give you just three things that will help you understand just how awful your first husband really is. Here's the first of the three. The law is not a relational husband. The law is not a relational husband. Galatians chapter 2 verse 21 I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, that's a relational phrase. If keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Romans 3 verse 28 says, so we are made right with God through faith. Right? We're saved by grace through faith. We are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Okay, the law is not a relational husband. In and of itself, the law cannot bring us closer to God. So if you battle legalism and have convinced yourself the way to get closer to God is to live even more under the law, you don't understand love. That's what we're going to talk about in the last point. But the law really can't help you in and of itself get closer to God. But let's go a step further. The law does not care about relationship with you. And it's really easy to understand. Think about this. Does why matter in a relationship? I mean, think about this. 
Does why matter in a relationship? Of course it does. I remember when Holly and I first got married, just over 16 years ago, we had gotten into an argument about the dishes, of all things. And the argument was she wanted me to do the dishes. And of course, being in my early 20s, I thought what I was supposed to do is put my foot down and say, no. She looked at me, she gave me a look, not the look, a look, and the look was, excuse me? So we, we went back and forth for a little bit about the dishes. And of course, she won. She goes into the other room, and I kind of, like a child, stomp into the kitchen. And I have this thought. I don't know what she's doing right now, but she's going to know what I'm doing. So I literally, you know, when you do the dishes, it can either be a really quiet thing, or have you ever noticed how much clanging noise you can make with the dishes when you do them? Yeah, I was a clanging cymbal and a banging gong. I was, I was literally slamming dishes down, the glasses. She knew what I was doing. And while I was doing them, as I was finishing, I, I, I confess, this was my thought. Okay, I'm, I am a little embarrassed by this thought, but this was my thought. By the time I'm done with these dishes, it's all going to be okay. Because I did what I was supposed to do. So our fight will be over, then she'll give me the look. You didn't catch that. <laughs> so I finished the dishes. And you know what lesson I learned that day? It wasn't over. Even though I did the right thing, because I didn't do it the right way, in other, in other ways, my why was wrong. It didn't make things right. In a relationship, why always matters. You can do the right thing, but if your why is wrong, it messes up the right thing. But listen, the law doesn't care about your why. All the law cares about is that you do exactly what it says. The law cares that you do, not why. That. Why? Because the law is not a relational husband. Can you imagine being married to someone who doesn't care about having personal relationship with you? There's a term for it. It's called roommates. It's not marriage. The law is not a relational husband, doesn't care about personal relationship. What an awful husband to be married to that could not care less about relationship with you and can't do anything in and of itself to actually bring you closer in your relationship to God. The second thing that makes the law such a horrible, horrible husband is this. The law is an overbearing, critical judgmental husband. Anybody ready to say I do all over again? The law is an overbearing, critical, judgmental husband. Romans chapter 3 verse 20. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Galatians chapter 2 verse 19 takes it even further. For when I tried to keep the law, a funny thing happened. It condemned me. I did my best to try and keep the law, and yet the law still condemned me. 
Can you even imagine being married to a husband who even in spite of your greatest attempts and incredible effort, you try and try and try for everything to be just right. Can you imagine being married to a husband who went after you try and try and try as hard as you can for things to be exactly right? That husband looks at what you did and says, that's not right. Do not elbow your husband right now. Okay. Can you imagine being married to somebody like that? You try your hardest, you do your best, and time and time again, your husband looks at your effort and says, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Oh, that time you got it right, but man, you got it way wrong right after that. And it seems like you're in a pattern here. You're getting more wrong as we go along. Okay, here's one of the worst parts about the law. It's always right. It's always right. And if you're married, you know exactly just how frustrating this can be. One of the most frustrating things at times in marriage can be when you're wrong. But one of the things that can be far worse than that is when you're wrong and your spouse is right in the middle of an argument. Well, here's what you need to know. The law is always right in an argument. The law is never wrong. Every time the law points at what you do and says that's wrong, the law is right. Every time the law points at what you did being right and says that's right, the law is right. The law is never wrong. Can you imagine being married to somebody, overbearing, critical, judgmental, who is always right, never wrong, constantly pointing out the areas in your life and the ways in which you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Listen to me, that's the kind of husband the law is. And let me say this, some of you may have just given your life to Jesus, and maybe you, you've been feeling a stirring to give your life to Jesus, but you haven't yet, because you hear this voice in your head that says, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, keep getting wronger. I want you to understand, if that's you, that's not the voice of God, that's the law. And listen, the law isn't evil. Paul cleared that up. He says, is the law evil? Of course not. The law isn't evil, but you know who is evil? The accuser of the brethren, who takes the law and uses it to accuse you. So if you're here and you hear God, in your, in your opinion, you hear God saying, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's not God, that's the law. And you'll see it in scripture in this last point. You will hear God's heart for you. It's not to condemn you which is what the law does. A funny thing happened, I tried to live out the law and yet it condemned me, scripture says. And why? Because the law is an overbearing, critical, judgmental husband. And here's the third thing that makes the law such a horrible, horrible first husband. The law is an impotent husband. This is real talk, people. The law is an impotent husband, straight up impotent. Romans chapter seven, verse four, therefore my brethren, you have also become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that 
we should bear fruit to God. God says to man and woman, be fruitful and multiply. A part of what we were made to do is to produce fruit. Okay. We all understand that in order to conceive a child, the fruit of the womb, not the fruit of the loom underwear, the fruit of the womb, we all understand that a man has to come together with a woman. We all understand that, right? I, I don't need to take the next four and a half minutes and explain the birds and the bees, do I? I mean, I can. I can take the next four and a half minutes and explain the birds and the bees. It's going to get awkward, but I can do it. No, of course, you understand that in order to conceive a child, a man has to join his body with a woman. And God designed husband and wife to come together to be fruitful and multiply. Okay, we all understand that, that it takes husband coming together with wife to conceive the fruit of the womb. Well, then why is it so hard for us to understand that about producing fruit in our own spiritual lives. Why, if we know a husband can't produce a baby all by himself, a wife cannot produce a baby all by herself. It takes the two being joined together. And we know that. All of us know that. Then why would we ever think that as the bride of Christ, without Christ, we could produce any fruit, any righteousness all by ourselves? And yet many of us think we actually can. And some of us have become convinced that the Christian life is about bringing Jesus our fruit. No, no, no. The Christian life is about joining together with Jesus and producing fruit. The bride is the branch, not the vine. The branch can't produce fruit without the vine. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. The law is an impotent husband. The law cannot help you do what's right on its own. This is going to sound silly, but it's easy to understand. Think about it. Can the law by itself help you do what's right, help produce fruit in your life? Can the law do that? No. Think about it. If you're studying the law, the over 600 laws in Scripture, if you're studying the law of God, you go through the, the Ten Commandments. You see, thou shalt not covet. Is this how it works? That the next day when you go to lunch with your friend who has more money than you, more stuff than you, pulls up in a $250,000 car, does it work like this? That you just look at your friend and go, hey, didn't even notice you bought a new McLaren. <laughs> didn't even notice. What do you mean you didn't notice my McLaren that you just called by name? Yeah, yesterday I was reading the law, and the law says, thou shalt not covet. And so, I don't covet anymore. The law says, don't covet. I don't covet. Didn't even notice you got a McLaren. Didn't even notice you have a house three times the size of mine. Why? Because the law says don't covet, and the law has the, the power to help me do right all by itself. No. The law is an impotent husband. And listen to me. The law wasn't designed to help you do right. The law was, was designed to be a tutor to push you to the one who would make you righteous. The law was a tutor to push you to God, 
to help you understand, to get you to a place to say, I can't do this by myself. God says, that's right. Enter my son, Jesus. The law is an impotent husband. If you want to produce fruit in your life, the law cannot help you do it. Only love can do that. God is love. Only love, capital L, can do that. We can't do it by living out or walking out the law, trying to do the best we can to do right, to do right, to do right, to do right. Doing right does not automatically produce fruit. Only joining with Jesus can we truly produce fruit. We're going to have a whole message on that. Romans chapter 7 verse 6 says, But now we've been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. This word released from the law is a military term. It's a militaristic term, and it means to be discharged from. The Bible says we have been discharged from the law. And since it's a military term, to help us understand it, let's, let's think militaristically for a minute. I've never served in the military. Uh, love everyone who does. Grateful for everyone who does. So I don't want to presume that I know how it works in the military, but I have watched some military TV shows, and so I'm just going to take a stab at <laughs> what it might be like. There's the sergeant who's over all of the soldiers. You first get in, that's, that sergeant tells you everything you are to do. That soldier tells you how you're to do it. That, sol- that, that sergeant tells you when to do it. That sergeant tells you exactly what your shoes are supposed to look like. That sergeant tells you exactly what your hair is supposed to look like. That sergeant tells you exactly what your clothing is supposed to look like. Sounds like some legalistic church I've, I've known. Sergeant says, everything has to look like this, everything has to look like this, everything has to look like this. The sergeant tells the soldiers exactly how everything is supposed to go. The Bible says that the law is like that sergeant, and we have been discharged from the leadership of that sergeant, the law. So imagine, here you are on the base, been wearing your your fatigues all these years, been submitted to the leadership of your sergeant all these years, and now you've been discharged. You go back to the barrack, you put your civilian clothes on, you leave the barrack, and you are exiting the premises. And as you are nearing the gate to leave the premises, out of nowhere, back here, you hear these really loud, strong, bone-shaking syllables. Soldier! And without even realizing it, even though you've been discharged and you're about to step off the premises, you hear the call of the sergeant that you've been submitted to for so long, and you turn around and salute. Listen, why would you turn around? And here's what you have to know that you see after you've been discharged from the law when you turn around and you hear the sergeant say, soldier, you turn around and the soldier's not talking to you anymore. 
The, the sergeant is speaking to the soldiers, not to you. You're not a soldier anymore. You have been discharged from the leadership of the sergeant. Well, here's the big question. Why would anyone who's been discharged go back in submission to an old sergeant, a horrible husband? Well, there's two really simple reasons why. Number one is because you were married to that sergeant for a really long time. Why would anybody who's been discharged, released from the law, ever try and go back to the law? Well, one simple explanation is maybe the person was married to the law for a really long time before Jesus. And so they, from time to time, still hear that voice, soldier, you better stand upright in church. You better worship and clap and sing. Listen, that's not love. That's law. Well, what's another reason why anyone who's been discharged, released from the law, why they would ever go back? Well, here's another reason. Because the person may have spent far too much time in a works-based church. And you know what that works-based church sounds like? It sounds like the sergeant. You better do this, you better do this, you better do this. And what they teach is, listen, God's not mad at you. Works-based churches teach this doctrine, this right here. God's not mad at you. God is not mad at you. But I assure you, he can get mad at you fast if you don't do the right thing. So you better do the right thing. And we're here to help you understand what the right thing is. You better do this. You better do this. You better do this. Don't ever do that. Don't you dare do that. Don't even be in the room with somebody who does that. It's a works-based church. It works against the grace of God. We have been released from the law, and we never have to go back to the base. We never have to go back in submission to that sergeant, that awful husband. We have been released from the law so that we can be married to another. How can we make sure that we no longer live under the law, that we never go back to living under the law once we become believers in Jesus. That brings us to point number two. The only way, you need to fall in love with your new husband. The only way to make sure you don't ever go back to living under the law and all of its requirements is to fall madly in love with your new husband. And the easiest and fastest way I can help you understand the difference is, and I don't need a ton of time, the easiest way for me to help you understand the difference between your previous husband and Jesus as a husband is to help you see. Go back to Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. Look at what the law does. For when I tried to keep the law, when I did my very best, it still condemned me. But look at Jesus. I know you know John three sixteen, but do you know verse 17? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. There's enough of that with the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the law, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? It means that Jesus is saying, when the law tries to come to you, once you believe in me, when the law tries to come to you and condemn you, here's what I need you to say. I need you to look the law in the eyes and say, Every time the law comes to condemn and say, you're wrong, you got it wrong, I need you to look the law in the face and say, you're right, 
but I'm with him. And he's not just with me, he's in me. And his righteousness has been put in my account. It has been deposited into my account. And while you are right that I got it wrong, I have been made right by Jesus Christ. I'm with him. Galatians chapter 2 helps us understand this predicament of the, the bad husband, good husband scenario. Galatians 2 verse 19, if you put a marker there, flip over to Galatians 2. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. Stop there. How, if the Bible says that the law says that someone who is married cannot remarry as long as their spouse is still alive? There's a problem. The Bible also says that heaven and earth will pass away before the law does. So the law is not dying anytime soon. So how can I be released from the law in order to remarry, to marry Jesus Christ. If the law is never going to die, God came up with a solution. You die. You die. That's the solution. You die with Christ. You are crucified with Christ. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, and here's some relational talk, who loved me and gave himself for me. Your previous husband didn't do that. Only Jesus did. Your previous husband comes to condemn you, even when you try your hardest, even when you try your best. But Jesus, as a husband, makes it very clear, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to fulfill everything the law is using to condemn you. I fulfill every bit of that law. And if I am in you, and you were found in me, you're no longer condemned ever again. There is therefore now no condemnation. Not just right now, but forever, no condemnation. Don't you listen to the law as a believer in Jesus. The tale of two husbands. Can you imagine living with a husband who doesn't care about relationship with you, doesn't care about intimacy with you, is condemning, overbearing, Judgmental, critical, also impotent, can't help you conceive, produce any fruit whatsoever. Can you imagine night after night falling asleep next to that husband where the last thing you hear before you close your eyes is, you know you got it wrong today. You know you did that wrong today. Yeah, you did get that right, but you got this wrong, and you got this wrong, and you got this wrong, just as you fall asleep. And some of you are saying, that's how every day of my life ends. Let me tell you something. It's just because you haven't completely understood, come to understand the grace of God. We know what kind of husband Jesus is. But the real question is, what kind of bride are you? There are only two types. I'll use 
my relationship with Holly as an example, and we'll be done. What if I went to my wife of 16 and a half years and said, babe, I've been studying the law, and the law says that I should not commit adultery, that I should not cheat on you, and I have an announcement to make. I because the law says not to, am not going to cheat on you ever. Now, I want to. I mean, I really want to at times. I mean, some days I catch myself daydreaming about cheating on you with other women. I want to. My flesh really wants to. But I have an announcement to make. The law says don't do that, so I'm not going to ever cheat on you. I promise. I promise you that even on my worst day, in my lowest moment, when I really want to cheat on you, I'm not going to, because the law says not to. That's scenario one. That probably ends with the beatdown of all beatdowns. Scenario two, though, same conversation with a different tone and a completely different heart. Baby. Do you remember 16 and a half years ago when I stood in front of my grandfather who was the minister that day and said I would hold your hand all the days of my life? That as long as we both shall live, I will be faithful to you. That I'll chase you down wherever you go. That you'll never be able to get rid of me. That I will never leave you. That I'm not ever gonna cheat on you. Do you remember me saying that? Yeah, honey, I do. Well, can I tell you something? We've been married 16 and a half years, and I still feel the same way. In fact, I feel more motivated today than I did then. I find myself, when you walk into the lobby after the 9 o'clock service, and my job says I'm supposed to be talking with this new family who's new to the area, and I'm supposed to be totally dialed into what they're saying. But when you walk in the room, I forget what I just said. I don't remember their name. I can't stop staring at you. Some would say it's problematic that my obsession for you is over the top. I want you to know I'm never going to cheat on you because when you walk into the room, I still forget about everybody else in the room because I am madly, passionately in love with you. Ladies, let me just ask you, to which husband would you rather be married? Obviously, husband number two, right? Okay, if we were to ask Jesus, which bride would you rather be married to, Jesus? The one who does right for all the wrong reasons. The one who thinks that having everything right, doing everything right will bring them closer to you. Would you rather have that? Or would you rather have the bride that says, I'm obsessed with you. I can't stop thinking about you. I want to do what's right simply because I love you. That's why I do what's right. I don't do what's right to show my love for you. I love you, so therefore I do what's right because I'm obsessed with you. 
I'm going to chase you everywhere you go. When you walk into the bathroom, I'm going to stand outside the stall. Jesus, I'm madly in love with you. If we were to ask Jesus which bride he would rather be married to, to whom do you think he would say? You know, he would say, I want the bride in love, not the bride in law. Listen to me closely. This message isn't just about the tale of two different types of husbands. This message is also about the tale of two different types of brides. The bride in law and the bride in love. I'm gonna say something I hope you never ever forget. That having a good relationship with your new husband will never happen by you trying to maintain a perfect relationship with your previous husband. It cannot happen. Jesus isn't looking for you to do everything right. Jesus is looking for you to desire to do everything you do with him. That's the kind of bride Jesus wants. So here's the question. Which kind of bride will you be? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I went a little bit long and I'm sorry that I want to rush this moment. We're going we're gonna to end this service a little bit differently than normal. We are going to have a time at the very end where if you need prayer, I want you to come pray with somebody. But I want us just to take a moment. And if you need prayer in a moment, when we dismiss the service, there's, our altar ministry team will be up here and you can come pray with somebody. But I don't want to rush this moment right here. Because some of us may have been living out of law, not out of love. And we need to get back to loving Jesus, being madly, passionately in love with Jesus. And I want Matt, while you're there with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, in your seat, I want Matt just to be led by the Spirit. I want you to imagine that you're in a crowded restaurant with the Son of God. And he has walked into this restaurant to have a private moment with you. He's not concerned about anybody else in this restaurant any more than he's concerned with you right here, right now. And I want you, each of us, to have a private, passionate, loving moment with Jesus. And if you don't yet know Jesus, in this moment, privately, just begin in your heart to talk to him. And in a moment, we can introduce you to Jesus. But I want Matt just to sing out. And I don't want us to worship by singing a song. I want us to worship by having a holy, private moment with the Son of God. Have your moment.
Jesus, we tell you in this moment, we are madly, passionately, wildly, obsessively in love with you. I pray over every person in this room that the bride they choose to be would be a bride in love, not a bride in law. I pray, God, that they they wouldn't come to church just to check something off the list. I pray they'd come to church every week because you grab them by the hand and say, let's go into the house of the Lord. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace, oh God. May your grace go with your people as they leave this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Gateway Church, please visit our website at www dot gateway scottsdale dot tv